And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. Welcome to Startup Hustle. This is Steve Hoffman. I am your host today for a special four-part series on Silicon Valley investment trends now and in the future. And today I have with me an investment luminary with lots of experience under his belt, Bob Ackerman. But before I introduce him, for those of you who don't know me, since I'm a guest host, I will tell you a little about myself. So I am the founder and CEO of Founderspace, one of the world's leading startup incubators and accelerators. We operate in Silicon Valley, and we also have partners in 22 countries around the world. And we have founder spaces in big cities across China. So it's fantastic to be here with you today and share with you my insights as well as our guests about what is happening right now in Silicon Valley. You may also know me from my books. I am the author of Make Elephants Fly, published by Hachette Books which is all about the process of radical innovation. And my new book that came out in the spring of this year, Surviving a Startup, which teaches entrepreneurs everything they need to know to grow and scale their businesses. And this is published by HarperCollins. And then my brand, brand new book that literally just came out, The Five Forces That Change Everything, which is about how technology is transforming our society and what lies ahead in the future. So I would like to thank, before we proceed, Fullscale.io. So Fullscale is an amazing company that provides really dedicated quality software teams. So if you need a, an affordable and great software team, go to Fullscale.io. Now our guest for today, on Silicon Valley investment trends is Bob Ackerman. And Bob is a luminary in the business. He has been around a long time. He is the founder and managing director of Allegis Cyber Capital. He also founded Data Tribe, which we'll find out more about that. And he is the big gorilla, the 800 pound gorilla in cybersecurity. So that's going to be our topic. So Bob, Welcome to the show, and tell me a little about what you're working on right now. Hey, Steve, it's great to be here. And by the way, the books are must-read. Uh, I think I think you've done just a phenomenal job each time you've put pen to paper and kind of capturing the inside story, the inside perspective in a way that very few people do. So, uh, you know, congratulations on the books, but I hope everybody will pick it up and read them because they're, they're well Thank worth you, the investment of time. So, you know, you know, what are we doing? Uh, you know, we're, we're making the world safe from bad guys, uh, you know, at, at the end of the day. I mean, if, if, if you think about how we think about cybersecurity, I've been investing in cybersecurity for, for 20 years. And about uh, about 10 years ago, uh, we took uh, our Allegis platform, which I funded, 
and we shifted our focus 100% to cybersecurity uh, and then raised the first dedicated cybersecurity funds in the world. And the observation was, and I think, I think history has just borne this out, uh, we're in the middle of a digital transformation. Uh, the global economy runs on a digital substrate and, and cyber threats are the existential threat to that digital substrate. And as much as we digitize our business processes looking for efficiency, cost reduction, velocity, uh, the entire spectrum of bad human behavior uh, is also digitizing. And it's that digitized, you know, bad human behavior, which is the, you know, the, the, the spectrum of cyber threats that we all deal with today. So, you know, fundamentally, we're in the business of, of identifying, anticipating those threats uh, and then building counter uh, defenses against those attacks, whether those attacks be nation state, whether they be criminal, whether they be hacktivists, the three primary, you know, propagators of cyber threats. So that's what we do. Uh, and, and what we've built, you know, once, once we jumped into cyber hundred uh, percent, we realized we had domain expertise. We understand the customers, uh, we understand the supply chains, uh, we understand where the best people are. And we decided to take a, a very, very different approach to the market. And that was really to build out a platform that allows us to capture value at every stage of development. So we talked about Allegis Cyber Capital, that's the venture platform, classically Series A to Series C. About six years ago, we started Data Tribe in Columbia, Maryland. Uh, we described that as our foundry. So you would be familiar with the metaphor, but what we do there is we take uh, teams that I call domain masters, principally out of the intelligence community, uh, where they are benefiting from, you know, tens of billions of dollars of annual investment for decades and developing core capabilities in cyber and around data science. And we take them out and, and we build uh, companies around that expertise, principally either deep data science companies or deep defensive cyber companies. Uh, and then we uh, earlier this year, we launched uh, Night Dragon, uh, which is our growth equity platform, which uh, is uh, led by my partner, Dave DeWalt. Dave was formerly the CEO of uh, FireEye and McAfee and Documentum. Uh, and uh, they basically pick up at sort of that Series D uh, growth equity up to IPO. So if you look at the platform today, we're, we're probably running about a billion five, uh, all focused on cyber stage agnostic, global reach, uh, deep domain expertise. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's what we do. And, and maybe along the way, I'll give you an example or two of, of things that we've done. But at a high level, uh, we are all cyber all the time. Uh, and just trying to leverage our knowledge and our expertise in cyber to build the next generation of cyber secure uh, capabilities to, for that digital supply chain. So. so let's talk about that. You know, historically, a lot of the cyber companies came out of Israel. So yep. what are you seeing today? Are they are they mostly Israeli based or where where is the nexus that a lot yeah, of I, 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 I think if you look at cyber innovation, uh, the U.S. probably is 70 percent. Uh, of cyber innovation, uh, I would say Israel uh, is running about 20%, and just in terms of numbers of companies. Uh, and, and the other 10% is rest of the world. Uh, and with within rest of the world, probably first amongst the midgets uh, would be the UK, which, uh, you know, small small by comparison in numbers, very high quality. But I think that's, uh, that's how the market really shakes out. There's, you know, there's roughly, depending upon how you define it, about 4,000 uh, cybersecurity-focused startups in the world today. Uh, they're tracked by our partners at Momentum Cyber, another part of our platform uh, on the advisory side. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think you know what, what you find 
is, you know, our, our, our basic playbook, you know, playbook that I've been prosecuting for a number of years is, is, is taking cues from offense to identify where defense needs to be in cybersecurity. So virtually everything that we deal with today uh, from a cyber threat perspective, at some point in time, probably originated in an offensive playbook out of a nation state. Uh, and whether that be Israel, whether that be the United States, whether that be China, whether that be Russia, you know, there are 135 state actors that have identified offensive cyber capabilities in the world today. Uh, you know, it, the bar is pretty low for less than the price of a tank. The North Koreans can stand up a, a capable offensive cyber capability. But our observation is that that these playbooks originate on the offense. And some number of years later, you know, five to six years later, that playbook basically gets you know, distributed in the wild and becomes part of the cyber threat landscape. So it's it's not unexpected that you would see countries that have very strong offensive cyber capabilities organized for national defense, developing the expertise to then fuel the creation of cyber startups. Uh, and so that, that you know, makes that, sense. That's but certainly our problem. There's a six year lag time there. So yeah, it's, yeah, it's kind yeah. of scary. Like they're always six years ahead on the offense than the defense. It's not a good thing. You know, let's go to just like our average lives. Like in my life, you know, I've T-Mobile has been hacked several times, you know, Walmart, Target, whatever, you know, all these different companies are vulnerable to being hacked. And, you know, it seemed like, you know, I used to guard my social security number, you know, with my life, but now it seems like, you know, it's floating around there somewhere for sure, because somebody's hacked one of my accounts somewhere. There's nothing I can do about it. Will this trend continue? Will it get worse? And what can we do about it? Look, I, I, I don't see an end to this. Uh, you know, uh, you know the, the, the basically the reason we have these vulnerabilities is that, you know, in, in, our, in our push to digitize, uh, it, you know, it's driven by speed. It's driven by velocity. Uh, and, and security historically has been a secondary consideration, uh, which leaves these gaping holes, uh, which are exploited by the bad actors. And so, um, you know, there, there are a number of things we need to do, and it's going to be generational. It's build more secure software, figure out how to build more secure software, train people to be cyber aware. So things like phishing attacks uh, become less successful, socially engineered attacks become less successful. But I certainly envision that for the balance of my career, which hopefully has many years to come, uh, we're going to be dealing with these battles in one way, shape, form, or another. I mean, part of the dynamic, Steve, is that the bad guys are just as creative as the good guys. And it very much is, you know, it very much is good guy versus bad guy, good spy versus bad sky. You know, we, we get good at defending uh, the offense, you know, uh, innovates, uh, finds a new vulnerability, exploits that we respond. I think one of the natures of cyber historically, one of the things we need to get around is that we've been very reactive to cyber attacks. And what we need to do is we need to envision uh, how do we how do we get out of the putting our fingers in the hole in the dikes to basically building a layer that stops the water from coming through the dike and getting prescriptive and proactive in terms of how we secure this infrastructure. Yeah. And it feels like we're a long way off from that, honestly, because we are. I mean, we are. Look, look at that big hack that just happened. You know, what was it? The Solaris? Was that the name of it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that, you know, in the supply chain, I mean, every institution in the United States seemed vulnerable. Like, yeah, I mean, so, I mean, solar, solar winds was, was really a great example of a number, number of things, right? Number, number one, a supply chain based attack. Uh, you know, they, 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 they got into, uh, you know, the, the, the code repository, 
inserted the malware into that repository and then just used SolarWinds distribution channel to propagate, you know, the corrupted software. And of course, you know, broadly distributed on a global basis. I mean, you stop and think about it, you know, I mean, horrific at one level, phenomenally creative at another level. Back to my point, you know, the bad guys, you know, we may, we may say criminal, we may say state actors. These are very, very bright, very creative people uh, who all they're looking for is, is, is a weak link. And whether it be technical, whether it be process, whether it be the people involved, and they will exploit it. And that's why it's so hard to defend against, because there are so many things you have to protect, like everything from human stupidity and error through to, you know, this whole supply chain of all this software, every single piece of software you, you, you install on your machine is potentially could be the, the gateway, the Trojan horse into your your system, no matter how secure it is, you know how much damage did Solar Winds do? Uh, look, it is you know it's 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 been reported in the media. I will tell you that from my perspective, it's been grossly underreported, uh, and we do not understand the full scale or scope. Uh, you know, have we, we even have we even gotten rid it under control? <laughs> well, I mean, here's the thing, right? So shortly after it was identified. Uh, you know, the, the, the big news comes out and announces, well, you know, we shut it down. It's like kids, they're on to the next two, three, four plays. By the time you figured out they had done it, uh, you know, they had they had propagated uh, the vulnerability. They had, had opened up additional back doors. Uh, you know, th- this is akin to closing the barn door after all of the animals have left, not only have left, but moved out of state, you know, and, and set up new farms. Uh, so th- this again, yeah, this that's is what's, the... that's what disturbed me, you know, it went in and out of the news pretty fast. We know news cycles, you know, right, <laughs> everything's right. coming and going, but literally once you're into any, you know, these top level organizations in the United States, I think the department of defense and Homeland security and, you know, really sensitive areas, once you're in, how do they get them out? Because you can, once you're, once that door is open, you can start inserting code in all sorts of places. Well, 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 well they do. And that, and that code, they'll insert the code. They'll leave the code dormant. Uh, you know, it won't, it won't be apparent that it's there, you know, to be activated at a time and place of their choosing. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's, it's incredibly insidious, you know, and part of the challenge is, you know, we, we think about securing our organization, which we have to do. But in that, that, again, that global digital economy, we have all of our trading partners. We have our supply chains that are all digitally integrated. And so what you find is an adversary will find the weak link. It may be in your networks. It may be in your people. It may be in a trusted third party, uh, you know, and they'll compromise the trusted third party. And in fact, you know, we, we've seen situations. Uh, we, have a, we have a company in our portfolio called Prevalian, which operates uh, XNSA guys. Uh, that are able to identify cyber attacks while they're being formulated. So typically today, a cyber attack, it's about 270 days from the time the attack takes place before it's discovered, nine months. And at that point in time, all you can really do is remediate, you know, and write an after action report, about all you can do. So if you could get closer to T0, time zero to identify an attack, you have a much better chance of kind of parrying the adversary. Well, what, you know, it's what Prevalian does, but what you see is you see, Prevalian is able to track adversaries moving through supply chains, pre-positioning for a cyber attack. And so that whole third party aspect of cyber, uh, you know, is is just really, is really a big, big deal and is only going to get bigger because, 
you know, it's the old joke about, you know, the, the strength of a chain. Just look for the weakest link. Uh, yep. and, and when they're a trusted you know, counterparty, you know, you welcome them in and you give them basically unfettered access. So we're going to have to rethink how we manage that. Yeah. So when we look at geopolitics today and cybersecurity is a big part of that, yeah. uh, do you believe that cyber threats dwarf other threats, like let's say a hot war or, you know, other types of espionage? Are, are cyber threats our biggest threat right now? Yeah, I think I think they are. I think I think they are the I think they are, in fact, the existential threat uh, to the global digital economy. And again, when we, we talk about those actors, whether it's a state actor, whether it's a criminal element, whether it's a hacktivist group, uh, they're all equally technically capable. Uh, the state actors have more resources available. So there's a level of sophistication uh, that they can pursue, which is in advance of, of, of others, you know, the development of things like advanced persistent threats targeting specific organizations. Uh, but yeah, they are. Uh, and, and again, you go back to that, that entire spectrum of bad human behavior. Uh, when you get to cyber, I mean, the cost of launching a cyber attack on a relative basis is very, very low. That's uh, very, yeah. very Anybody different. can do it with a computer and an internet connection. A anybody can do it with a computer and an internet connection. And, and, and if there is a microprocessor and data involved, you got a bullseye on your back. So that kind of gives you a feeling for the, for the scope. Very difficult to, uh, to attribute. Uh, these are you know, extra jurisdictional. So, you know, so, the yeah, our, to identify and prosecute is limited. Uh, so it's, it's, look, it's, it's the wild west. And, uh, you know, I've got uh, Mike, Mike, you know, Mike Hayden, uh, former director of the NSA, and I were talking once and Mike said, look, this is the, the largest uncontrolled, unregulated domain in the history of mankind. That's right. Cyber. Nobody's in, in, in charge. And we can't even retaliate a lot of times because we can't even prove that they did it. And even if we know exactly who did it, like it's some government. You know what do you what do you do in retaliation? Do you cyber attack them back? Do you bomb them? You know, do you well, start I, a hot I, war? I, well, I, I think I think there's a there's a let's unpack that. And I think there's a couple of things there. First of all, um, the attribution issue is a very real issue, and 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 we play by a set of rules, right? That says, well, unless we've got 100% certain you know attribution, we're not going to react. Well, our adversaries do not play by that same set of rules. You know, it's kind of like close enough. Uh, and so we're going to have to rethink how we engage with adversaries and kind of what our rules of engagement are. Otherwise, we sit back and we just take a pounding and say, well, we don't know enough to react while the damage is being done. So I think we need to rethink that. But you, you touched on a really interesting point, which is, does this lead to a hot war? And the risk is potentially, uh, you know, if you're if you're getting beaten up, if you're getting had digitally and you can't respond. Uh, you go to your, you know, your reservoir of responses, and one of those is fire missiles. And, and so, you know, I, I think there's a there's a misnomer in some policy circles and some political circles. Well, well, it's just digital. Well, you know, Colonial Pipeline was just digital, and that was a very simple ransomware attack that went after their business systems, didn't even go after their industrial systems, and we saw the fallout from that. So, don't tell me. It's just digital. If you look at industrial espionage uh, that's being driven digitally, where basically, you know, the, 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 the core of the U.S. economy, which is intellectual property and innovation, is being stolen wholesale by geopolitical adversaries. Don't tell me it's just digital. If we lose that competitive advantage, what does it does? It undermines our economy. 
Uh, it basically strips the margin out of our innovation. Uh, it severely reduces our ability to continue to invest in innovation at a time when we're carrying, you know, near $30 trillion in debt. I mean, the whole house of cards comes tumbling down. So the stakes really couldn't be much higher than they are. Yeah. So that's what you mean when you say existential. Absolutely. For, for, you know, potentially, let's say the worst type of cyber security threat happened, an attack happened. What would be, what could they do? What could they do? Could they fire off missiles? Could they, uh, you know, our missiles, (laughs) could they, you know, could they fake an attack? Like, these are the things I'm worried about. Like, could one bad actor, another country, fake an attack on, on, of the U.S. on another country to get them to retaliate to us? Well, you may remember, you know, you and I are both old enough to remember Matthew Broderick in War Games. Yes. Right. Which, which yes. Is, you know, is, a, is a computer in a wargaming scenario that didn't know the difference between simulation and reality. Uh, you know, so I think I think there's there's always that risk potential out there. But short of that, you know, what what if our banking system couldn't clear? Right. What That's... if our critical infrastructure was compromised? The power went out. Uh, you know, we've got we've got 16 categories of critical infrastructure in the United States, you know, all of which are, are you know, sort of the again, back to the substrate of our economy, which are digitally insecure. Now, we're rapidly pushing to secure that infrastructure. But, you know, an enemy, an enemy doesn't have to hit us with a weapon. Uh, an enemy can simply undermine, deny access to or invalidate the systems that our economy depends upon for operation. Look, we are the most digital economy in the world, which makes us the most vulnerable economy in the world to a digital or cyber-based attack. So, uh, you know, this, this, this sort of denial of the consequences of a cyber attack, uh, boy, that's, that's, uh, that's naive, you know, raised to an existential level, given how sophisticated the technical foundation of our economy is. And, and we, we really need to kind of wake up and take that much more seriously uh, and, uh, you know, in, invest more significantly, raise the bar for our companies and our expectations. Uh, there's a way to think about that that we may or may not get to today. But, yeah, it's very real. So in steps taken, I, I know you're going to say this. We should invest more in cybersecurity, naturally, not just to benefit your fund, but really we have to be investing more at a government level and at a private level. Should government set regulations or standards for private industry in terms of cybersecurity? Yeah. So so first of all, I mean, to put it in, in perspective, this is national security uh, and this is not national security in the context of of, of, of of tanks and bombers and special warfare operators, even though I think there is a there is a digital special warfare equivalent uh, in this discussion, uh, but it is about national security because if 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 our economy is vulnerable, uh, that that is the source of our standing in the world. That is that is the foundation of that you know basically guarantees our freedoms, our standing in the world, supports our lifestyle and our values. So it's it's a national security issue. There's a lot of discussion about what should the role of the government be, and I think the government for too long has been uh, a day late and a dollar short. Uh, and principally because there has been a lack of expertise, broad-based expertise, uh, particularly within the administrative and political arms. There are, I mean, the NSA is world-class. Cyber Command, terribly sophisticated. CISA and the Department of Homeland Security, very, very capable. But 
having the technical capability and organizing how that capability is deployed, how that knowledge is leveraged uh, are two very, very different things. And when you look at uh, you, you look at uh, Congress, for example, uh, there are three congressional representatives that have computer science backgrounds uh, that really can sit down and talk about cyber. Uh, there are others in industry sectors like finance that will be a little more exposed, uh, you know, to the threats around cyber. So they're useful. But but we are you know, we're way behind the power curve. Now, what might the solutions look like? You know, there's there's one temptation, I think. When, when government gets involved in regulating uh, is to say, okay, well, you've got to hit this standard uh, and you got to hit this standard by that date. I think there are very, very real risks in that rigid regulatory framework when you get to cyber because cyber is very fluid. Uh, you know, what is a threat today will be replaced by a new threat tomorrow. So if you have a very static regulatory framework, you're going to be behind the power curve forever. So I think what you need to do is you need to take a, a much more dynamic approach, which is to specify a level of cyber assuredness uh, for organizations and then leave it to them to determine how to meet that standard. Because what you do with electrical grids is going to be different than pipelines, is going to be different than banking. Every one of those have different architectures, different types of risks, different types of exposure. So there is no one size fits all. But what you can do is you can establish a bar and say you need to meet this bar and then you need to determine how you meet that bar. But we're going to hold you accountable. You know, I've, I've long advocated that I think that we, we will see um, audits extend to cyber. Uh, you know, typically, what do we do? We've, we've got a set of financial standards. Uh, we audit against those financial standards and organizations are held accountable. I think we'll see the same thing with cybersecurity. We have a set of standards. Uh, your auditors, good news for the auditors, uh, you know, will will be coming in and will be auditing your cyber uh, posture uh, as part of your annual audit to be able to give confidence both to the government regulators, but also to your shareholders that you have taken the necessary steps to secure their value. Uh, and, and I expect that we'll see that, you know, over the next five years, I certainly push for it. Uh, you know, I don't expect that organizations uh, an enlightened organization will understand the existential risk and will take the appropriate measures to secure themselves. Um, not sure everyone gets there. I think you. I think you have to have a little bit of a carrot, a little bit of a stick, but you got to be very, very careful in terms of how you shape that stick, because rigid regulatory frameworks where somebody can say, "Well, I ticked the box, I'm compliant," uh, and and that that was relevant five years ago, but not today. That's totally that's agree. Problem. Totally that's agree. Proposition. Yeah. Rigid regulations won't work. You yeah. need incentives for them to upgrade, maybe tax incentives for them to invest in cybersecurity. You need sticks like they're going to be fined or there's some liability that they're repercussions. Uh, you know, if they get hacked, they're going to have to do this. And then what you said, you know, you need some standards that people audits where people yeah. could go in there and, and check and verify that they've actually done what they said they did. Well, and, so, I, and, I, and I think there's things you could do. I mean, there was a, there was an SEC rule that a, a friend of mine who was Senate Finance Committee staff, uh, Jake put, put through about, feels like 10 years ago, where the SEC came out and said, if you have a material cyber breach, you have to publicly disclose it. I thought that yes. was brilliant. That, that was it was brilliant. But you know, we're getting overwhelmed now by, there's that's, so many of these. Yeah, so it, the, it, it, the effectiveness of, of announcing it, it's like, oh, another one got, right. you know, 
There's another one. That was, you know, that, was so, that was just yeah. Right now, it'd be three pages in the Wall Street Journal of disclosures on a daily basis, right? That doesn't fix the problem. That that's, doesn't fix the problem. But that's we the need... beginning of using market forces to shape behavior, which I think was a was a really good idea. I thought I think I agree with you. It was a, it was a great idea, and it did make a difference. But now we need more <laughs> because yeah. well, and, and there's things like see, there's things like when you think about critical infrastructure. Look at the electrical grid, for example. I mean, you've got your big power companies, right? But then you've got, you know, basically a federation of about 5,000 small operators, right, who do not have the technical sophistication and do not have the resources to upgrade their infrastructure to be cyber secure. That's an area where the government, I think we'll see this from the government, they, they've, they've tackled the electrical grid first, which, you know, to their credit, right thinking. Um, but uh, look, put, put together an industrial loan capability uh, where it's like, look, we're going to provide the we're going to provide the resources, financial resources for you to upgrade your portion of the grid. Uh, and, and we will have a consulting capability that will bring the expertise if you don't have it. But we've got to get very proactive about hardening that critical infrastructure. Because if, if I was an adversary, would I try and hack the NSA? Hell no. I'd go after the low hanging fruit where I could do so much more damage. You know, yes. I'd go after the critical infrastructure. Yeah. So if you're in North Korea and you want to hit back at us. Yeah. It's pretty obvious. Now, before we go, the, uh, talk about some of the entrepreneurial opportunities for startups out there, as well as the future, I want to thank the sponsor of Startup Hustle, Fullscale.io. They help software companies build great, and every company really, build great software teams quickly and affordably. So let's let's dive deep now into, you know, there are a lot of entrepreneurs listening. What are some of the upcoming opportunities where you think entrepreneurs who have the talent and abilities should be focused on? Well, so for us, again, you know, going back to kind of my original premise, we take our cues from offensive playbooks uh, because we know eventually those offensive playbooks are going to be in the wild and they're going to be used to attack, you know, the full spectrum of, of business opportunities. So, you know, things that we think about today, I think, you know, one of the really big areas today, and there's a lot of activity is in and around identity. Uh, you know, because frankly, in a, in a digitized global economy, uh, it, it begins and ends with identity and being able to verify, validate identity and the access and the permissions that go with that is, is obviously a huge opportunity. It's not a new opportunity. Uh, we've been, you know, we've been going after this one for probably four or five years at this point in time. But when you think about really big opportunities in cybersecurity, that clearly is one of them. Um, industrial control systems. So do you... Let me interrupt you. With yeah. identity, do you see using technologies like the blockchain would be useful? Yeah, I'm. I'm. Uh, I'm. I, I think blockchain has got uh, has got some uh, value to deliver here, uh, more in terms of resiliency than in security, quite frankly. And I think the blockchain uh, needs to be a lot more secure, uh, you know, than it is today. I think its real value is resiliency. But when you so talk let, about my... let's let me hold you right there. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. you said something pretty. Interesting. You think, and you're an expert on this, that the blockchain needs to be more secure. Do you think somebody could hack Bitcoin and actually disrupt that the entire Bitcoin boom that's going on right now? Well, let, let's let's put it this way. Um, uh, you know, Bitcoins have been stolen. Uh, yeah, uh, and but I'm talking yeah, at a more fundamental level, like compromising yeah, yeah. Look, Bitcoin look, itself. Look, I I fundamentally believe everything is vulnerable. You know, there will always be a vulnerability. So this, this is, this is, this is an arms race, uh, you know, and, and so, you know, it's, it's never done. You're never secure. 
because there will always be a new vulnerability. There'll be a new angle. There'll be a new approach. There'll be, you know, uh, you know, Bitcoin systems will be integrated with other systems and there'll be a vulnerability in that integration that creates an underlying vulnerability. So security, we're never done with security. You know, it's not like we set up a police force, we set up the sheriff, you know, life in the, in the Western world is safe and secure. No, it just, it just, it just keeps going because as long as there's motivation, uh, you know, there will be creativity and we will find vulnerabilities that will be exploited. But I think, I think Bitcoin not Bitcoin, but but blockchain has value. Uh, but I think a lot of more is around resiliency, which I think is really good because that'll tie into another another theme that I have. Um, but uh, in identity, you know, it's you know it's it's uh, it's multi-factor authentication, way beyond what we think of as MFA today with two or three factors. It's n you know n factorial uh, factors of authentication down to behavior, biometrics. All of that's going to get integrated together. And what we'll probably see is we'll see a, a continuum. Uh, we've got a company that operates in this space out of London. And, and what they look at is, look, if it's a simple query uh, against a, a bank account, maybe three factors of authentication is sufficient. Uh, if it's wiring $100 million, it's probably going to be a different level of authentication. So what we need to be able to do is we need to, in, to understand the context of the access and then scale the authentication dynamically in real time without adding sand to the gears of commerce. Right. Uh, we can't a, bring everything to a halt. To... Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, because look, the most secure thing you can do in the world, is stop all transactions. Yeah, now there's yeah. no fraud. Yeah. yeah there's well, no fraud and there's nothing. That, that doesn't and, work. and the hackers achieve their goal. They shut everything yeah. down. That's right. So, you know, just recently I read uh, a couple of days ago in Dubai, somebody used a deep fake AI of, of a bank manager's voice to get so, another uh, employee of the bank to transfer funds. Yeah. So I'm going to get, so I'm going to give you one of my sort of one, one that I've been chasing for about five years. Uh, and, and that is at some, at some point in time, our infrastructure is going to be as secure as it can be. And we'll, we'll continue to incrementally add to that, uh, that security. But what we're going to see is we're going to see entirely new vectors opened up. And, and one that I worry about, look, I, you know, I'll betray some of my thinking. I tend to look at military playbooks a lot. Uh, because these are techniques that have been developed, tried, true, proven, you know, over many, many, many years. Uh, and, and so I expect that those will be digitized uh, and they will become part of the threat landscape. Uh, but one of the ones I worry about a lot is the weaponization of data. Uh, you know, today, you know, in security, we, we do a lot of work on anomalies, behavior that's outside the norm, trying to detect things. What happens when we get to the point where we weaponize data? Uh, and, and we do this, you know, mil military playbooks today use weaponized data. So uh, give me, give our audience an example of this, a concrete. So I'm going I'm to give, give you two. Uh, so you talked about one already, deep fakes, right? And deep fakes tend to get used. Most often you'll see a lot of it in video. The examples you see are in video. There was, there was a phenomenal one about three years back of, of former President Obama giving a speech. Uh, and you would have swore it was President Obama, but both those were not his words. Uh, even though it was his voice and his image. Uh, and so that is, you know, that's the deep fake side. It could be just voice. Um, when you get to weaponization of data, again, this digital economy, it, 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 data is the fuel, it's the oil that allows that system to operate. So imagine uh, an example, I won't talk about the company that I had the conversation with, but financial data is being distributed. It used to be distributed in print form. Now it's distributed digitally. 
And a lot of that digitally distributed data feeds automated trading systems that basically trade at the speed of light. How do you trust the data? Mm -hmm. and that's the nightmare. That uh, is and, a nightmare. And it, it, it's, you know, and, and so there's, there's a couple of aspects to it. One is, uh, you know, because the data comes through, it looks like data. You're not screening for what is the authenticity of the data. What is the provenance of the data, which is the theme that I'm working on. Uh, the other is. You could uh, imagine uh, uh, faking a stock market sell-off. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. And, and, and we look, we, we've we've seen examples of this, uh, not from a. Uh, I remember there was an example about about 30 years ago. Now I'm really dating myself back in my my CEO days, uh, where there was a press release uh, that was a bogus press release that was was put out uh, via fax because that was the technology at the time. Talking about uh, it was a biopharma company talking about. Uh, big surprising failure in their phase two clinical trials. It was bogus, right? but it was about the manipulating the market. Yeah. Right. So you get, you get the same thing applied to, you know, to, to a digital environment, same basic thing, or you look at um, industrial control systems, uh, you know, and, and we've, we've seen examples of this uh, where, you know, the, the water facility down in Florida was, you know, bad data was going through trying to basically manipulate the water plant uh, to basically poison the water. I read about uh, that. Right. So, you know, another example, or if you if you talk to, you know, sort of friends in the intelligence community, they will tell you, you don't have to corrupt all the data. At some level, you just need to corrupt enough of the data so that it can't be trusted. And then you shut everything down. So this this weaponization, I'm doing a I'm doing a session with Gartner CISOs next week on this. Um, is I think one of the real big pending threats that's that's coming at us. And, and, and what? How do you how do you deal with that issue? Uh, you get around to what I call data provenance. How do I trust the data? Uh, where do the data come from? Who's touched the data? Who changed the data? What is my confidence level in the data? Uh, we're going to have to get there. Uh, so this is and, a real area for entrepreneurs out there to innovate on. Absolutely. Like, now this is an area where there's not a lot of expertise. Uh, and, and most of the expertise, when you look at provenance, uh, actually comes out of the intelligence community, uh, where, where they've been collecting data, they're using data uh, you know, to make decisions, but they've got to have confidence in the data. So they've worked on this so, problem. So let me think about the future here, because we want to talk about the future. So at yeah. some point in the future, if we're really going to get cybersecurity working, because if we don't, there's potential if we get into... A, a real conflict with one of our adversaries that they could wreak complete havoc on our yeah. financial systems, on our economy, on our power grid, on like every, you know, it could be devastating. So we're going to have to do this. So in the future, um, I can see uh, a new type of internet where every single piece of data is authenticated and tracked from its original source. Like you yeah, never, that, data doesn't just appear. It's like you get the whole history of this data. So, so anybody out there who's listening to us today, Steve's got ideas on that. Please call me. I've been, I've been, I, you know, I always tell people just because you think I'm paranoid doesn't mean I'm not right. Uh, but this is going to be a big problem. And, and look, we see other, we see other manifestations of it today. Look at in GPS, GPS systems being hacked. The Russians, uh, are su are suspected of being responsible, where you know the location of a ship is the physical location is 250 miles away from where it actually is, or the GPS system says it's located. 
So this is all, web, this is all you could imagine. You can imagine with aircraft what that could lead to. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. You know, uh, you know, or uh, an aircraft is coming into land and it thinks it's at one altitude and it's at another altitude. So, you know, in, in that data driven economy, the veracity of that data is absolutely essential. And so we're going to have to get to a place where we can tag data. And to your point, we can establish the provenance of that data and, and we can argue about, you know, just like identity, that based on the utilization of the data, what level of assurance do we need to have? But this is this is a good example of how, you know, the bad guys don't stop. They just keep they just keep coming up with new ways to come at you. And if it's not and they're it's not just them not stopping, technology's progressing. So let's That's exactly face it, right. that opens up a whole new set of vulnerabilities. As AI gets more powerful, it can do a lot more. Hackers can use well, it. Well, so, and, so one of the one of the things we talk about in AI, right, uh, is you know AI. Right now, we've got a we've got a four million person skill shortage in in cybersecurity, and so there's a lot of discussion about the use of artificial intelligence to help close that gap and using AI on the defensive side uh, to either process a lot of data so we need fewer analysts or we get more value out of the analysts we have. What happens when AI is used offensively? And I chair something called the Global Cyber Innovation Summit, uh, which is an invitation-only gathering of kind of thought leaders in the, in the cyber industry. And two years ago, you know, we had a, we had a, pr a presentation uh, by Sean Tursky, who's one of the top leaders of the, of the NSA. Uh, and, you know, again, this is a closed room environment. Uh, it's mostly chief information security officers. And Sean was saying, look, we all talk about AI from a defensive posture, but understand the ramifications of AI in an offensive posture, uh, where that Office of Personnel Management hack that compromised 23 million federal employment records, which took place over nine months, what if that attack with artificial intelligence can be achieved in nine hours? Yes. You know, what, what, welcome to the new frontiers. And to your point, that part of the byproduct of the advances in technology you know, we, we are really, really good at advancing technology much faster than we're able to kind of analyze and understand the misapplication or the adverse application of that technology, which is what opens up these opportunities for the bad actors. Yeah. And look at, you know, IoT, every device is becoming a smart device. Every device is, you know, we're putting chips everywhere and connecting them all to the internet. So it's endless. Like the and, number and, and, of entry and, points is just. That, well, that precisely every one of those IOT devices is an entry point into a network, yeah. you know, and, and now think about IOT devices. They tend to be static. They do not have dynamic security. Nothing. Uh, Some yeah, of them have they, they, zero. You know, <laughs> when, they're, when they're built, many times there'll be components from 30 to 40 different suppliers that are integrated Nobody's looked at chain of custody. Nobody, nobody's really looked at the integrity of those systems. Many times those components are coming from geopolitical adversaries. So, you know, what could possibly go wrong? Yeah. And these devices are everywhere. So exactly. this, it's actually insane. And then we haven't even gotten to quantum computers. Like what happens when we get these exponentially more powerful computers that can decrypt yeah. anything we can encrypt. What what do you think will happen then? Well, look, I mean, today there, there's a you know there there are organizations, uh, foreign actors in particular, that are hoovering up all the data they can get, even when it's encrypted, because they know at some point in time with quantum advances they will be able to decrypt that data. So people say, well, why are they stealing all the encrypted data? Because eventually they will be able to decrypt it. Um, you know, and, and so, again, you've got another arms race 
uh, between encryption methodology and decryption, you know, decryption methodologies. And, and quantum is the wild, wild west. Nobody really knows, right? I mean, it, uh, will we be able to develop countermeasures? Uh, next generation encryption, uh, possibly. I will tell you today, I think encryption continues today to be one of the most effective tools we have in protecting data. Things like homomorphic encryption, uh, for example. There's a little company called Inveil that came out of the National Security Agency uh, that, that we worked with uh, that you know are the only ones who really have been able to get homomorphic encryption to work at scale in production globally. But that's where we're going to go. I mean, homomorphic encryption, for people that don't know, is the ability to process data while it's fully encrypted. So it's never exposed. That's a significant, that's been a science project for 20 years. You know, it's now past the point of being a science project. That's uh, pretty actually, amazing. It, that, it, it's, it's phenomenally powerful technology. But we're going to depend upon advances like that, you know, to 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 kind of reimagine security. Now, one of, one of my basic premises is, is that much of cybersecurity at the end of the day is going to turn out to be a data science problem. Uh, today, we're, we're dealing with networks, uh, which we need to. That is that is the state of the art. But I think the solution to many of our long-term cybersecurity concerns is going to be based in data science. Mm. Things like homomorphic encryption, things like data provenance, where you know if, if the data is ultimately what the adversary is after, control the data. Now, we're not at a point where we can do that yet today. We've got a lot of research to do and a lot of development work to do. But at the end of the day, I think that's going to turn out to be I think that's really profound what you said, because (laughs) what you said is it's impossible to control the environments and all the systems out there and the whole supply chain and all this. But if you can go right down to the data and have super advanced encryption in the data um, and track that data, then you have a chance of, of actually implementing uh, cybersecurity at a level that could withstand what we're headed towards. <laughs> yeah, basically at, a, at an atomic level, right? Yes. Even, even with, look, even with the most secure, like JP Morgan spends a billion dollars a year on cybersecurity, phenomenally, very capable, very secure. They still had their breach, what, five or six years ago of, of 75 million records, because what happens it, despite all of the technology and all of the sophistication, um, you know, Joe gets an email that looks legitimate. He clicks on it and, you know, and, you know, the adversary just walked into the network via a phishing attack. And, and that's some of the toughest stuff is just depending upon whose statistics you want to use somewhere between 50 and 70% of compromises have, have a human element involved. And that's how do you, how do you engineer the human element out of Um, it? It's really hard because we're very very fallible creatures. So, um, what you're saying is basically we could imagine a future where uh, the net, the, our enemies, the cyber hackers could be in our system, but that's fine because the data itself uh, is secure. So even though they're in our system, they still can't uh, manipulate or uh, or substitute or interfere with the data because it's it it's all verified at at, you know, the whole like you were describing the at, whole chain. At the, at the, at that atomic level, right? Yes, you've got, yes. You've got, you know, hydrogen is hydrogen is hydrogen is hydrogen, and you know it's hydrogen. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, you know, now, you know, where that, if data is the target of the adversary, then that works. Um, when you get to things like industrial control systems. It's a little uh, or, different. Or control yeah. systems. Now it's a whole, it, that's that's a whole different type of threat uh, that, that you need to be worried about. But, uh, 
Okay, you've given us a lot of food for thought. You've scared the bejesus out of me. <laughs> Look, I want to encourage entrepreneurs. These are big, important problems, you know, that are looking for solutions from the entrepreneurial community. Yeah, we need to get a lot more entrepreneurs on this. You know, they need to stop solving those little problems, making those social networks and get on this. So, Bob, this has been fantastic. I feel like I could talk to you for hours more and continue learning so much more because we could go far deeper. We're out of time. So in order to wrap up first, I'm going to thank the sponsor of Startup Hustle. So Fullscale.io, if you want great software teams, go to Fullscale. They can give you them. And I want, Bob, I want you to tell the audience how to reach you. How can they get in touch with you? So, you know, look, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm an ex-entrepreneur, built a couple of companies, uh, you know, so I've got, a, I've got a real soft spot in my heart for entrepreneurs. I love to talk to entrepreneurs. Uh, you can reach me either, you know, Robert at AllegisCyber.com or Bob at Datatribe.com. Uh, either, of those, either of those will get you to me. Uh, you know, Datatribe is where we do, again, where we do our seed work. We really co-build companies. Steve, you know the model. I do. Uh, take domain masters, provide a little capital. In our case, we move companies into our facility. We've got our team have all got 20 to 25 years building companies. So we kind of fill in the experience gap. But at the seed stage level, that's we do that at Data Tribe. And Allegis is where we do the, the early stage venture. So uh, I'm always happy to talk to entrepreneurs, particularly about some of these big problems we're talking about where uh, we, we've, we've got a lot of innovation to be done. And, you know, the other thing, Steve, you and I talked about earlier, just, just a brief thought for people. You get asked the question all the time, is cyber over-invested in, uh, you know, for, for entrepreneurs, I will tell you yes and no. Uh, there is a lot of cyber that is grossly over-funded. Uh, it is me too, undifferentiated, incrementally better. That's not going to move the needle in cybersecurity. The areas that are under-invested in are the truly disruptive, what I call over-the-horizon, disruptive innovation that fundamentally changes the game. Uh, and that area is underinvested because quite frankly, most of the venture community doesn't know enough about cyber to be able to differentiate and distinguish between what is incrementally better and what is truly disruptive. But, uh, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, there's a, there's a core group. There's a sort of sort of 10 of us, I think, in cyber that were listed as cyber's money men. Two of them are in our firm. Uh, you know, if you got something that's really disruptive, those are the people you want to talk to because they're the ones that are going to understand the value of the innovation and you'll be able to have a, a more intelligent conversation. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I think cyber is a great place to build a lot of value, but you want to be on the disruptive innovation side, not the incremental side. That's really important message for all the entrepreneurs out there. Thank you, Bob. And if I want to thank everybody for tuning in to Startup Hustle. If you want to reach out to me, since I'm a guest host, you can come to founderspace.com. We're also looking for entrepreneurs with great ideas, great business plans. We have lots of stuff there. I have my own podcast there you can check out and my books. And thank you all for tuning in. Stay tuned for our third part of the series coming up soon. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.
with the world.